I already got them. No problem. <laughs> Welcome back to Colombian Influence. This is a podcast where we talk about adoption using our own experiences as adoptees as well as others in the community. Today we are going to be doing our book club series. We are on chapter eight of The Primal Moon. <laughs> I'm ready. So I know you want to start us off right away because yeah, you just I like something. <laughs> continue. Okay, continue. Go ahead. Um, but I think you are good at just kind of giving the brief outline. Yeah. I think if you've watched our show before, um, we just go over the main sections that really stick out to us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's dive into chapter eight. Um, chapter eight is titled mm. Issues of Guilt and Shame, Power and Control, Identity. So, each <laughs> section basically, it's kind of spoiler alert, I gave it away already, but we basically start off with the sections, um, guilt and shame, and then go into power or mastery and control, which the subtopics of that section are adoptee as victim life isn't fair that one's a really long section and then goes into the last section of identity which again uh, yeah that's kind of how that's it's it. all that's really how it's all broken down um it's kind of i think getting short and sweet. sweet yeah short and sweet mm -hmm. is basically kind of what we have for this chapter so. so guilt and shame don't make me feel great <laughs> i don't think they make anyone feel very great <laughs> but to be expected for me in this section though literally all i noted was that the first section totally exhausted me hmm. it was a lot of information i don't know if anybody else out there feels this way <laughs> okay eric feels this way Okay, and I guess with your notes, you also didn't highlight that much? No, I didn't. Really I, didn't have that much I didn't highlight much, but I think this kind of all goes into, I mean, it's a lot to take in. Um, Why is it so overwhelming? I know. I think part of it is the fact that they're, like, identify or not identifying, defining guilt and shame and giving examples, and I'm like, what, which is it? Like, mm -hmm. and it's just, it's a lot of information that's just, like, thrown For at sure. you. I think mine just jumps onto page 95. Again, a discussion question that I think we'll jump right into. I mean, mm -hmm. we love these. We love hearing from our listeners. Um, one that really stuck out to me is, let me just make sure I am going to say it correctly. Okay. So it pretty much talks about biological children um, feeling as if they're raised with a handicapped person who needs 90% of the attention. First mm -hmm. off, mm -hmm. I don't like how they worded that at all. Mm -hmm. Like, Handicappers, I just think that's very inappropriate. But for the sake of what they said in this book, um, they just have the biological children just feel guilty and for not having been adopted. And so I guess I just want to hear from people who are who have siblings who are adopted and they aren't. How does this make you feel? Do you feel um that we not we <laughs> that I don't know? Do you think like overshadowing? Right. Yeah. Is that what kind of you're thinking of? I think so. Like, just, how did how did it make you feel, having an adopted sibling, Oh, that'd essentially? Be really, I mean, I guess that really has not been necessarily the audience that we've And I know I, I would to, love but... to interview my brother, and I know we've talked about that, mm -hmm. and I think he definitely would. Shout out to you, Dylan. I know you watch all of our podcasts and listen <laughs> to all of our podcasts and are a huge supporter and everything for this. Um, so I, I would like to just hear that side of the story. That's another part of the triad that we haven't heard from or know any knowledge on. Yeah. 
So I think that'd be really, really interesting. Did you feel kind of, yeah. Hindered. Hindered. I guess in some way overshadowed. Mm -hmm. Guilty for not being adopted, wishing you were adopted to get more attention. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you got the same amount of attention? I think that's kind of one part that really was interesting to me because it's a part that I just don't have any knowledge on. Mm -hmm. I guess, again, this first section is really just like, it really just overwhelmed me. I vividly remember reading it and putting my book down and be like, okay, we can finish this right now. It's going to be fine. Just take a minute. Like, Mm -hmm. this is just, it's just a lot of information again. So, so is the entire book. I mean, said yeah, time and time again, said, take, your, take time. your time for sure. Yeah. And we both make sure that prior to recording these, that we're not, that we're reading it a few days before mm-hmm. so that it's fresh, but that it's also not, you know, bogging down on our, I don't know, general emotional mm-hmm. wellness as far as like having it to be weeks out and having to revisit it again so that it's right. fresh in our mind. So, I mean, it's very strategic in that way. And um, hopefully also just having <clears throat> us like discuss this casually and, uh, you know, kind of little bits here and there that people can kind of use mm-hmm. that as a, I don't want to say a crutch, but as kind of just like yeah. a helpful guide to get you through it because yes. it really should be taken slowly. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what we're trying to do. Granted, it's kind of like our second time through at least the first half mm-hmm. of the book now kind of starting and fresh on some of the later parts of it, but I think it's, like what you said, a good crutch, but also a good um, discussion point on there are different sections on every aspect of adoption. So Mm -hmm. I think it really breaks it down perfectly on where some people have this more than others. It's just, it's really, I think at this point, well-written. I I wouldn't say maybe well-written, but like very validated and very uh, eye-opening for a lot of parts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, So I guess that kind of wraps up that first section. Um, The next section of this chapter, again, this chapter only has three sections, one of which has a couple subsections, but, and that's this next one, power or mastery and control, which I feel like sounds really loaded and just kind of, Mm I don't know, whatever. So uh, the first section here is adoptee as a victim, which I thought was really interesting. And I actually, when I first read that, uh, subtitle adoptee as victim under the power of mastering control on page 96 I was kind of taken aback mm-hmm. and I was a little like we're not playing the victim and at first I was like salty about it yeah. and just like what does this mean me and just like before reading it but then when I got into it um kind of with one thing that I noted here is that closely related to shame and guilt are control And this section really goes into the misunderstood nature of adoptees being a victim, which brings me to my first quote of this section on page 96, Um, kind of jumping in halfway through a line is that adoptees are victims of manipulation of the gravest kind, the severing of their tie to the birth mother and their biological roots. The feeling of being a victim is not just a fantasy, but a reality. And that is, I just did an exclamation point mm-hmm. right there after underlining it. Just like, oh, okay, that's heavy. And I think this goes back to our previous, like, I think it was two chapters ago where it's, this is the only trauma that people expect us to be okay with. Or grateful for. Or like for. grateful for. Grateful for. Yes, for that's it. what it was. Yeah, grateful for. Not okay with. Grateful for. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like. No, it's that's like, not the case. That and just the fact, like, the way that this words it is, like, they are victim of, victims of manipulation of the greatest kind. 
you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like that is so like they are, first of all, but of such high caliber. Right. Is just I don't even know. That and like this section finishes up saying being abandoned often leaves one with a permanent feeling of being at the mercy of others. Mm. That's so much risk. Like that's I think I didn't where it even goes, highlight any of that, but like really? that last sentence. Um Which I didn't either, I guess technically. It was kind of <clears> at the <throat> end of that because I really wanted to highlight the fact that adoptees are victims of manipulation mm. of the grave. It's kind, kind of what I just went over. But the end of that paragraph saying, being abandoned often leaves one with a permanent feeling of being at the mercy of others. Mm. And that, I think, really just, again, this whole section goes back to me with being that um, it goes back to control, or I guess I should say going back to the guilt and shame, is that it ties into that, is like, that's where we get that from, is feeling like we need to be in control, is that kind of thing. Wow. Did you have any from... Kind of going off of that bouncing off that literally to the next page 97 there seems to be an almost desperate need to be in control at all times i have that underlined too yeah yeah i get that i do too yeah i think that that's something that i think that we connected on pretty early Mm -hmm. on in our relationship and everything and i think so it is a desperate need to Mm -hmm. be in control at all times and when there's something that's out of our control we are totally at a loss as far as our, I mean, I guess for me, like, when it comes to, like, medical things especially, that's where I just spiral out of control and I feel just, like, overwhelmed by everything. And, and I think like, that comes up later in this chapter under identity where it really talks about that more. Yeah. But I think also under this um, section as well as I talked about lashing out again ad- against adoptive parents Mm -hmm. like it doesn't make sense at all because they've done everything for you like what have they done wrong nothing i think instead of well let me pause you there sure in most cases yes there are a very good point i was just speaking for myself of course yes and i just like again we just always want to shed a light on the people that haven't had those kinds of situations and there's plenty of them that breaks my heart i just can't even imagine like all of the trauma you get as adoption as an adoptee on top of being placed somewhere with more and more trauma. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, We'd love I mean, to hear from you and be that support for you because obviously you have lacked support a lot of your life and understanding who you are. And again, we're just trying to hear all and every voice of an adoptee. So if you feel out. comfortable, yeah. even if it's just to us or being anonymous, whatever the case may be, like, We'd love to hear your story and we'd love to support you because I think everyone deserves that type of community. Yeah, 100%. Anyway, continue with that. Yeah, I was I just ju- wanted to stop and kind of mention It was that. just, um, what I said here, it was just helpful for adoptive parents mm-hmm. to understand the source of their child's anger because instead of becoming defensive, they can acknowledge those feelings. And I think that's just important, again, another role for this triad for adoptive parents to really just deeply understand where the adoptee is coming. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, I highlighted a lot of that because I'm really just trying to understand all parts of adoption, not just my part because I, I understand and feel that fully. Um, That's our part of the, you know, like our point of view, obviously. So it's yeah. like, we want to make it better for for like our part, but there's no way of doing that without acknowledging the other parts of it. Right. So I think that that's really important. Um, the next section of this is life, life isn't, isn't fair. fair. Hmm. It isn't. No, I was just about to say that. 
Um, let's see, for me, I guess, just kind of as a sum up with this section, I had said that a lot of adoptees feel out of control and that control is something that we are always chasing, Mm -hmm. essentially, um, which goes on to, let me see here, the quote here on page 98, uh, basically like this, um, I guess I'll just kind of start at the top of this, um, top of the section. Feeling like a victim sometimes has a paralyzing effect on an adoptee because even though he tries to control his environment, he still doesn't feel as if he's in control of his life. And the part that I highlighted was his striving to be complete was disrupted by someone taking over his life and altering it forever. Mm. That really... I, I don't even really necessarily have, like, thoughts on it. It's more like it shook me. And it was really like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is why we feel out of control. And it's, like, literally someone just, like, picked you up and scooped you up and was just, like, throw you in some random spot in the world. And we're like, okay, hope this works out. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, that's, it, when you put it into kind of, like, break it down to the basics in that way it's very jarring i suppose in like that first paragraph i had nothing i had the second paragraph spoke to me i put three exclamation points it was pretty much talking about how adoptees often have poor frustration tolerance or impulse control this means that the slightest things such as difficulty in trying tying their shoes or finding an object may make them inappropriately angry and reactive and i can attest to this um, you know, if things don't go my way, I get extremely frustrated. I like shut down and I get super, super irritated. And like, my dad just knows like, oh, it didn't go her way or like, it's fine. You know, like everyone in my life understands it now, but I think for a while, like they just didn't understand like, why are you so upset? Mm-hmm. Like we went on this route instead of this route, you know, it's like little things that don't matter. It just, I would explode on them. And another part in this is it's just, in other words, it's easier for them to control the rest of their family than it is for them to control themselves. So I'd always try to, like, I, I guess in a sense, make it about me. Like, how can I make sure we're doing this? Because I'm in control with that, but it's not really controlling me. It's controlling them. Hmm. Oh, it's so confusing. See, I guess- and I don't even know how to, like, put it out in words correctly where it's like, they don't think they're in control. Like, it's just a, a mind thing that I think I'm doing, but they have mm-hmm. no idea that I'm doing that. Which... I was going to say, while you were saying that, I was thinking of something with how plans kind of start to kind of fall apart a little bit. And I, I I kind of started to kind of catch on near the end of what you were saying, being like, oh, yeah, this is actually connected to, like, what I do. Because I'm always the kind of person where it's like, I have to fix it before anyone knows something is wrong. Mm. That's what, and I'm panicking like if something goes wrong with plans or it's like hmm, i can't tell someone till the last minute what actually happens like i'm gonna fix it in the meantime interesting oh i shut down i get just so pissed off see for me it's like people probably maybe i guess i don't really know i would have to ask my friends they've never really or my family is like they've never really said that they perceive me as anxious in those situations Mm -hmm. um i guess an example being uh like, my family, like, 
gosh, my family, we haven't traveled together, <laughs> the four of us, in a very long time. I think the last time the four of us together was when I was in Paris for a study abroad when I, in 2012. So it's been almost, oh, it's been almost 10 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, like, back then was... I mean, I was 20 at the time, mm -hmm. so it wasn't like I was given the responsibility to do everything. Like, my dad was doing stuff because he had been to Paris before, and something went wrong, and I knew something was going wrong because one of the- Is this the train? Yes. Oh, my God. I've told you this already. You told the story on yeah. the podcast, I believe. With the subway being closed down? I think so. Yeah. So, it was like, things like that where it was mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, I have to come up with an alternative. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. It's about to happen. Oh, my God. And it was just like trying to figure out other alternative options. And then, and like that just like caused me more anxiety. Whereas like when I was working at Disney World and I had family visit me, like certain things and reservations because that everything that you do, I mean, basically if you're going to Disney and you don't have reservations anywhere, you're doing it wrong. That's, I just have to put that out there. Um, <laughs> but, and I'm not like that. I'm a planner. So if, if you go with me um, <laughs> and you let me plan it, it's like, I have all these things in place. So like when certain things would like, not worrying out time-wise. I was like, okay, let's look and see how long it'll take to get there, mm -hmm. how long this will work out, and just, like, how I can work this out to make sure that it that it works, that it's all going to be perfect. I'm definitely like that now. But when I'm mm -hmm. a kid, I don't have too much control over it. That's so I thing. would just shut down. I'd be so mad. I'd be mad at my mom for driving slow. But it's like, you're driving the speed limit. You're probably, you know, you're doing what you're <laughs> supposed to do. It's just little things that I would be so frustrated but i definitely get where you're coming from yeah i think it's just like that's i think where like the control i agree comes back mm -hmm. and i think we kind of i'm sure we both kind of do that in different ways and yeah. like, as we're growing older it's like we get to be more in control so it's <laughs> kind of like well it works out for the best it kind of works out in that way mm -hmm. we're just really good organizers mm -hmm. so i'll take it that's yeah. fine with me Be lucky to have in your life like yeah. it's just like i'll make the reservation i'll make these plans i'll mm -hmm. do x y and z which when it comes to you and me it's always just like well i did it already it's like yeah but i was gonna i guess all right thanks. you sent the email already i was gonna do it <laughs> which i love it because we're very thorough very true <laughs> um let's see okay so that feeling out of control you had mentioned mm -hmm. the impulse control and everything um, I guess the only other part of this is just kind of talking about being like overly responsible. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just like, for me, that kind of goes back to just being like anticipating things. Right. You know, kind of with this whole, there's a lot here. The only other part of this section with the life isn't fair is on the bottom of page 99. Um, I just kind of want to read this and see what people think. Uh, there's a lot to this section, so I'll kind of skip ahead, but basically this says, like, being adopted sometimes makes an adoptee feel as if he's perpetually a child. And as B.J. Lifton says, who has ever heard of an adopted adult? This adoptee didn't choose the circumstances of his life, and he feels as if he's powerless over them even as an adult. And I underlined three times, who has ever heard of an adopted adult? I underlined that also. Well, we're here. We are here. There's a lot of us. And I kind of was, like, struck by this line, who has ever heard of an adopted adult? And I just wrote, we are here. And that goes back to, let's say people, like, 
our parents' age who were adopted, they didn't have resources. They kept it pretty quiet. Well, that and also is just like technology wasn't what it was. Right. That, di- that didn't exist and for so, anybody. And I think we've gotten a couple people where it's like, my mom found your podcast and she's really connected with it because they didn't have those resources. And yet there are so many adoptive adults, grandmas and grandpas who are adopted who just can mm-hmm. benefit so much by just having their voices heard. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. I think it's just that I had to stop and just, like, again, write down, we are here. Mm-hmm. Because I always try to remind folks that you don't think past, like, when people are thinking of adoption and thinking of the ways in which it can be misconstrued as, or not even misconstrued, or like people kind of, like, do it in a different way where it's, I don't know, I guess, for example, that YouTube family, I can't even remember their names, but they basically, mm. like, adopted mm-hmm. that one child from somewhere in Asia, and it felt very exploited as far mm-hmm. as his life goes, and he ended up being rehomed, and I'm like, that is such a mess. This is being done for yeah. social media. This is such a mess, and <laughs> nobody thinks past the what you do on Instagram. Um, here they are, actually. We're looking at them right now. Oh, God. Wow. Micah and James. Unadopted. Stop. Stoffer. Share every step of their parenting journey. Except the last. We'll have to share this on our page. Basically, there's just, there's a lot to be said about these families that are. Doing it for the wrong reasons. Doing it for the wrong reasons. Especially just with our day and age with social media. Mm -hmm. It's really problematic. And even the ones that aren't, you know, Instagram famous or whatever. It's like. These are the situations in which people think of, like, what can we do, like, on uh, This Is Us. Mm-hmm. when Or, no, not This Is Us. Um, Little Fires Everywhere. Oh, yeah. When the Reese Witherspoon character made a really cute uh, baby shower for this adoptive mother who had adopted a child who was, I think, Chinese. Mm-hmm. And they did really cute party favors, including um, fortune cookies. And just being like, well, she's Chinese. Isn't that cute? And it's like those cute little kitschy little things. But it's like nobody thinks about it past making it cute. Yeah. And past the baby shower. Past the baby shower. Past them being an infant and being like, welcome this tiny like bundle of Mm -hmm. joy. It's like they grow up. Mm -hmm. They are still going to be your adult children at or they're going to be your adolescent. They're going to be your young adult. They're going to be your adult. They're going to be like, they're going to be everything that you imagine a child to be regardless of whether they're adopted or not. Exactly. And that is what like this part of it, page 99, Mm. please just anybody who's reading this, we are here. And this is what we're doing this for is to give recognition to those of us who are, To all of us who are just like, we exist. Who's been silent way too long. Yeah. I'm off my soapbox now. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Well, that little section that you're just kidding. That was a really good point. I I totally agree. And I think we just need to continue to put that out there and continue to do what we're doing because it matters. Yeah. Because every, every person that's adopted is going to grow up, hopefully, you know, hopefully that these, that this trauma doesn't get to their mental wellness mm-hmm. to a point where that doesn't happen. Like, I, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, put a dark element on things, but it's like, 
that's also very common. We've touched on that, and that's a part of a chapter that we've already yeah. discussed. And it's a big part of adoptees. Mm-hmm. Sadly. Just adoptees in their lives and just, like, their mental wellness and just the mental illnesses that come mm-hmm. of that. And it's it's not easy. Like, people need to realize that these kinds of things need to mm-hmm. be comfortable topics that you talk about. If you are going to adopt, dear God, be prepared. Yeah. And read this book. Mm-hmm. Those I, I do I research. Like, like these, this is the book that us. really should be something that adoptive parents are doing because they're the ones in the most control when it comes mm-hmm. to the triad. So absolutely. Now I'm off my soapbox and back on. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that was the only part we had in that. We are just jumping into identity, which is also a big section I think for us. And in this chapter, it is a couple pages long. Gosh, it's the rest of the chapter. I didn't have a lot in the beginning. I, I mean, did. Oh, okay. Interesting. Let's start The there. whole first paragraph, I just <laughs> made it into, like, this whole bulk of something. Um, I did highlight this part, though. Not only does he find it difficult to identify his own personal history with that of his family, but he experiences a great deal of conflict around the idea of searching for that personal history. We've talked about this time and time again, and I think this is a huge topic for adoptees, just your past history, who you are, medical history, um, race, identity. I mean, the list is endless on just Mm -hmm. who are you? And I think this goes into also um, just my own personal experience, even though I was always searching for, you know, that question to be filled, I'm still left with a lot of unknowns. So I think we've talked about this in other episodes that will maybe drop later or already have already dropped at this point. Um, but just that it's okay not to search because you still mm. might not get the answers that you're looking for. And I think that's just a big thing to really think about if you're going to do the search. Not everything is going to be answered and there's still going to be those unknown questions. And the lack of this personal history is technically like a handicap for the adopted because of the importance of knowing one's past before planning for the future and with us trying to be in control and our planning sense like you want to have everything lined up but you can't have everything lined up to move forward Mm -hmm. you just have to do it i think with that especially with the adolescents with this section really i just bring up again the um comparison that i made to having it be a you know 1000 piece puzzle to a 5000 piece puzzle you know Mm -hmm. being an adolescent is hard it's huge but imagine that without having anything to go off of yeah like and that's a big part of this section just talking about being a teenager just trying to figure out who you are in general is already tough but on top of that not knowing your race identity your family you've never seen someone who looks like you there's no blood relatives in the whole Minnesota, let's say, for yeah. us. Or the, I mean, yeah. The, the country, we don't know. And it's just all of those unknowns are so difficult to really wrap your head around. And still is. Yeah. It, it doesn't really go away. And I think that's really interesting that they mentioned that it is a handicap to them. Because mm-hmm. um, it really just adds some depth to it, mm-hmm. I suppose. It hinders so many aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't really think about it until it's brought up doctor's office if you want to get pregnant oh what's your background well we probably should do more tests on you because you don't know anything oh okay mm-hmm. if you have like a rare, rare disease well you don't know your background let's do more tests on you know mm-hmm. it's just always like this daunting thing on you that 
you just have no control over. And it's just really, it's really sucky. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah. It really does suck. Yeah. It's definitely a lot to have to handle. Mm-hmm. And identity is definitely something that we've talked about time and time again. And it's really important to us mm-hmm. as far as also just realizing that obviously other communities deal with this too. And we want to like kind of bridge the gap as far as like being able to talk about it with other mm-hmm. folks um, of different I or different communities that have um, identity, identity questions. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, there's a lot to be said about identity and mm-hmm. I don't think people really realize how good they have it when they are, they've never questioned their identity. Yeah. That's, you know, it's not something people mm-hmm. have to think about and that's a, that's a privilege. I totally get that. Are you on the next page now? Yeah, next page, 102, 103. Um, let's see. 102, I had a lot, too. What did you have on 102? I didn't have anything highlighted. I didn't really write this in our doc, but I think this is another good discussion question. Okay. And I, I kind of want to, like, reach this out to you, too, just because I'm curious on what you have to say. Um, since I've done the search, I think it's a little bit different. But there are some adoptees who deny being curious about their origins. This seems to be some professional... This seems to be by some professionals as an attempt to avoid upsetting their adoptive parents who want to maintain the illusion of a natural family. So I guess someone who doesn't want to search, do you feel that like denial in a sense to like really want to express yourself in your culture? I think I used to think Mm -hmm. that, and that was something that I probably would have used to think of. Mm -hmm. Um, and you weren't exposed to it as much, so I think the more you get exposed, the more it's like, no, I'm I'm proud of it. I think it's I don't more want to put so, words yeah. in your mouth either. No, but. it's just like more so that like the more I look into doing it, I'm just like more indifferent, which I think is a huge signal to me. Um, before probably about a year ago, I felt like I was supposed to do this, and I contacted a organization called the Search Angels to start the process, and did but it felt so wrong and I stopped it almost immediately after just a couple weeks because I was like I actually really want to do it's like I don't feel anything besides and that's just panic. Your, your own personal it's not nothing to do with your adoptive parents or just no no okay no it was and I don't think it's really at this point it's like what I want to focus on is who I get to be despite all of these other outside things and who I am mm-hmm with being a Colombian in Minnesota and being someone who's well-spoken that gets to do stuff like this podcast Mm -hmm. and who gets to have these different traits that are outside of my adoptive family that they don't have that I'm like, I get to do this because I have this gift or whatever, you know, whatever it is. So I think it was just like, and I think me kind of like dipping my toe in it was kind of like, what I needed to do to be like, no, <laughs> I'm out. Like, this is not what I want whatsoever. Yeah. I would say, like, the um, the political climate in Colombia right now is very pl- problematic. Mm-hmm. And I, whenever I do see these videos or or pictures or articles about the about the horrible treatment of the citizens of Colombia. And what's happening there. Like, it is so much more than what we've ever experienced here. I mean, we're in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot that's gone on in the last year. It is so... And I, I don't want to compare apples to oranges, but it's like... the it's really the bloodshed, The bloodshed yeah. and the violence is so harsh. Mm-hmm. I 
can't watch more than a few seconds before oh, being like, sure. no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. Because it's like, now I'm at a point where I'm like connecting to my culture and my people and my original identity and like what I can like incorporate in these things and being like, you know, a Colombian woman in Minnesota. It's like, mm-hmm. that's what I like. That's what I'm proud of. That's what I want to cultivate yeah. with my identity. But, and that has nothing to do with my adoptive parents. And I love that. And it's just like, has to do with me. Yes. I, I, I can't say that I, when I see those videos and everything going on in Colombia, I don't think about like, I wonder if this is what's going to end any possibility of reaching birth family at some point. Mm. I will say that that is, and I mean, that's totally situational, just given everything that's going on. Well, I definitely reached out to my birth mom right away and it's two blocks from her where a lot of that was going on. She's like, we don't go out of the house. We know to stay inside. Oh my gosh. But it's still like, you think about it and and I would, I would think about it if I didn't even know her. I would just be like, wow, like they must be there. Which I mean, it's like if she was, if your birth mom was, I guess, exposed more to the news of America and seeing that everything that happened Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn Park recently was two blocks from you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy how that that happens, but there's a, there's, I think a lot of weight there, but honestly, now that I'm past that again, like this is, I guess, first time mentioning that, the fact that I did start pursuing that and just kind of trying to be honest with everything is just like, yeah, I did like touch on it, but it's like, it didn't ring true to me, and that was the first time I ever did that. And I love that you are sticking with that. And I just like to hear your different perspectives on different parts of it because mm-hmm. denial can come from just guilt and shame of not trying exactly. to make your, uh, you know, your adoptive parents feel that. And I, I definitely felt that when I was doing the search, just that I guilt and kind of just uneasy feeling. Like I don't want to make you feel bad for wanting to do this, but I don't want my birth wanted to feel bad for me not wanting to talk to her. Like it was just Mm -hmm. give and pull all the time. I just felt like I was going in multiple directions of unknown and a ton of guilt that way. Well, and I think what's interesting too is like that these are, I think coinciding with a previous chapter talking about the different attachment theories and the fact that we kind of connect with the different attachment theories. Mm -hmm. Whereas like Erica feels closer connected to the one where you become one the minute that you are in the womb. Mm-hmm. I feel as though that I connect to the part where I'm in the womb. It's just kind of like mostly separate entities. And then when you're abandoned, it's like, well, I know nothing else besides mm-hmm. being alone. And I think that really connects to this too. I think so too. I think that's and just on. who we are. Like it really makes sense. Uh, even our previous episode, just on relationships, all of that. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. Very interesting. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Um, later in this section... I can't wait for you to talk about this. <laughs> Why? This, because cheese is your love language. <laughs> and I just want language. you to just just go for the quote okay. before you go for okay. the next part. Because I'm just so it excited. On the quote. It's um, so <laughs> <laughs> on page 103, um, basically just the quote here is that adoptees have a Swiss cheese identity. There are a lot of holes in it. <laughs> I hate like, Swiss cheese. It can be a cheese. I'm, I'm I like cool. cheddar. I do too. I prefer cheddar. But, but that's just really interesting. <laughs> and that literally just made me laugh out loud when I read that. Because if you don't know Risa, she loves cheese. Yeah, if you don't that's know That's literally, then like, who are you? You don't know us. Literally, like, my friends bring me cheese when I'm yes. sad. Like, that's... Cheese like, when you're happy. Yeah, it's like, cheese congratulations. Cheese if someone passed away. Nice, you know. Cheese if... A nice Stilton. Yeah. 
Yeah. Congratulations. Here's some brie. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> and that's the best gift. Yeah, it is the best gift. So that made me laugh really hard, but I think that's a really good um It's visual. a good way to go about it, but yet you're still whole and delicious. <laughs> Despite having... You can go with a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, you go with a lot of things. Yeah. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But whatever. I can identify with cheese and I'm okay with it. <laughs> What else did you have on this page, if anything? Um, let's see here. <laughs> um, some of which is like at the bottom of 102. Adoptees are sometimes preoccupied with existential concerns. You've what? gotten so many texts from me being like, I'm having an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like an issue and just being disconnected from genetic heritage here. And basically it says like randomly placed in another milieu cause cause them to lose any sense of the right rightness of things um rather they feel that their life is purposeless chaotic and irrational without order or meaning this causes difficulties in the spiritual life and poses problems in making significant choices so i don't know that was kind of like that rang true to me like that was something that i underlined and just kind of was like i mean i definitely am someone who's like striving to have a purpose mm-hmm. um, Exhibit A. <laughs> Exhibit B. <laughs> all of this. So it's, you know, I think that's all something that I connect with. But at the same time, it's not something that I'm feel hindered by anymore. Sure. It's kind of just like, whatever. I'm going to keep striving for, mm-hmm. for perfection and just keep doing what I'm doing. And, and what's next? It doesn't bother me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's next? It's like, it doesn't bother me anymore. It's just kind of like, yeah, if I'm going to be the person that keeps striving for new projects, so be it. Oh, mm-hmm. no. You know, I don't have a, I don't know. I I don't, I'm cautious to use the word ordinary, but it's like, I don't want to be just ordinary. I feel like, and we've talked about this before, like we have to do something with the cards we've been dealt. Mm -hmm. Kind of where I land with that. Uh, Okay. So we've talked about cheese. We've talked about purpose. Um. (laughs) That honestly is kind of, that wraps it up for me with what I've underlined in kind of my bold points in these chapters this chapter excuse me let me see um yeah. just like checking to see if this is something that i'm no i guess really the the last thing i want to touch on is page 105 um The first step for all triad members is to assess the level of awareness they have about adoption issues. In other words, the myths and the stereotypes versus reality. None of these issues can be addressed successfully unless they're also addressed honestly. Mm -hmm. The depth of the pain and the many issues caused by that pain are not easy to face, but for healing to begin, doing so is essential. Uh, Parents, if they are honest in their expectations about their child, can, with the help from a professional, be tremendously effective in facilitating healing in their child. Mm -hmm. And the next part of the book deals with this healing. And we're already going to be on part three. three. So, I guess, um, overall, like, I can totally just, uh, like, agree to that. I think mm -hmm. this whole chapter, I just think, was a great conversation for all triads. I think Mm -hmm. over... Over and over, I've talked about this, but I think adoptive parents, and we've mentioned this even in this episode, play a huge role. And I think by listening and understanding the adoptee in all stages of life, baby, toddler, preteen, adult, 
as we continue to grow as um, a relationship with you and with ourselves, just really listening to that um, as a listener and just understanding your views might change because as an adoptee, our views are, I, I would say, correct. Yeah. And they, they don't have much say. I think that is just really, really important as an adoptive parent just to be very open-minded and do your research. And I think that's what I got out of this chapter is just all triad, all parts of the triad play a huge part, but I think the adoptive parents really just need to listen. And that's really a lot of what I said as well, just saying that mm-hmm. awareness and transparency are truly the necessary elements for adoptees and the counterparts mm-hmm. of the triad. Um, And the next section, like we just said, is going around the healing process, but adoptees and adoptive parents need to first identify these issues and see where they are negatively affecting relationships in order to start to heal. It has to start with that awareness. Um, And I identified a lot with the overall idea of this chapter, even though maybe the specific examples weren't quite spot on besides Mm -hmm. the cheese. Um, (laughs) The overall issues discussed in the summary um, are really spot on with what we usually discuss for kind of run of the mill, you know, adoptee Mm -hmm. uh, mental health issues, basically being abandonment, rejection, perfection, control, all of those kinds of things. We ask that in all of our, um, interviews with mm-hmm. other adoptees, like our uh, interviews are very similarly formatted for each story. And we typically ask about those mental health issues. Um, and that kind of get that gets that spot on. So uh, going on to the discussion questions for this chapter, uh, we had talked previously about the biological children with siblings that are adopted, feeling as if you know, they're raised uh, with a handicapped person who needs 95 or 90% of the attention. Uh, obviously, we said we don't really love the way that that's worded and <laughs> that it's necessarily appropriate. But if they feel guilty for either not being adopted or not being or just kind of feeling a certain way mm-hmm. about like not being the center of attention in those kinds of ways. Yeah. Um, or did you feel like you lacked attention and now that's really caused issues with you down the road? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a- another part. I mean, I know it- this is mainly about adoption and adoptees and their traumas, but I know it can be traumas for other people too. And I guess that would also say like, I guess I can't necessarily, maybe besides your brother and a handful of others (laughs) to necessarily like respond on this and be following us. So maybe posing that as also adoptees, what do you perceive as your Mm. relationship if it's being hindered by this kind of element, as far as how you think that your sibling who was biologically, you know, by your adoptive parents, Mm -hmm. if you think that that, if you perceive it a certain way. Or do you feel like you got all the attention? Mm -hmm. It it can go both ways. That's a really great great point. Yeah. Because obviously we know that, uh, you know, our audience is not necessarily the uh, adoptee siblings. So it's like, how do you perceive these Mm -hmm. um, other siblings? And I think you and I can both ask our siblings to see if there is anything that there is to be said about that. A great, honest, open discussion for you and your family too. If you don't want to share it in our comments, just making these conversations more normal all around. I think it's really important. Absolutely. Well, as always, um, follow, like, subscribe, comment, uh, leave us any reactions that you Mm -hmm. have to this reviews Uh, share it with your friends and family even if you aren't adopted you know someone who is or who maybe is going through identity issues 
Yeah. And it might not be adoption, but Send they can relate way. to us. Yes. And I just want to really uh, shout out to a lot of our followers. We have gotten a couple messages even just Quite this a few. week. Yeah. Lots this with week. With detailed information, long paragraphs of just how they've connected. And we appreciate that so much. That's what keeps us going. Mm-hmm. That's why we started this. I mean, we truly connect with you and we love those messages and we appreciate those so, so, so much. And we're just glad we can be there for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said, Erica. <laughs> so keep that coming. Um, if you do have any suggestions for f- future episodes as well, please send them our way. Uh, otherwise, that concludes uh, Chapter 8 of The Primal Wound. And if you're looking for other resources, please check out our website at ColumbianInfluence.com. That's C-O-L-O-M-B-I-A-N, Influence.com. Um, and we will see you next time. Later. Bye. Oof!